I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is Monday, March 28th, 1977 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California. If you're getting deja vu, we were in the exact same place on the exact same day just one week ago, but we didn't announce the big winner of the night. So now, I would like to ask for the envelope, please. The best picture of 1976 is... And the winner is... Rocky Irwin... Winkler and Robert Chardoff producers. <laughs> oh my gosh, here we are. Oh my gosh, here we are. Wait, I have to what hold a lead on a up. pause for one second here, Rance. Did you say Monday? Why didn't I catch that last time? Why are the it Oscars being held on a Monday? Oh yeah, yeah. It's been Monday. Have you have you not been paying close attention? It's been Monday for a couple year for a few years now. That. I must admit, this is embarrassing. No, I think I, you have absolutely said Monday, but I think my brain is just like Sunday. It's Sunday. <laughs> no, they, I they eventually heard it. This, this is time. actually this is a whole thing. Actually, they I forget what year they moved it to Sunday. Um, I mean, I'll note it when we get to it in our in our quest. But it was on Monday night forever and ever and ever, and um, and then they eventually had the wise decision, I think, to move it to Sunday. Because it does Definitely. feel like it should be a Sunday night activity. <laughs> it must be because it's like competing with the NCAA tournament final, right? Which is the Monday night. And then they, did they move it to Sunday so they wouldn't have to compete in that time slot anymore? I mean, that isn't even something that... That was just uh, something coincidental that happened, you know? like Because okay. uh, the NCAA tournament, you know, the schedule is slightly different every year of that as well. Right. Um it's uh, it's always in March, but you know at this point in time, it was kind of unusual for the Oscars to be held on the last weekend of March because uh, it had been held for a long time, the first weekend of April, you know. Right. Um, so this is, uh, you know, they're figuring. I guess they're figuring all that stuff out. But I I say that as if they figured it out today. I mean, we had. Um, I mean, obviously, we can't count this year as a normal year, but, you know, last year we had uh, the Oscars at the beginning of February, so there could be an expedited uh, awards season. Uh, before that, they had been at the end of February for, you know, several years, um, and before that, they had been in March and early April and all over the place. So, um, you know, it has moved around. It has bounced around. But Sunday has been uh, the tradition for our lifetimes oh yeah um, i'm not quite Sunday sure just exactly to fit when it's yeah it, it makes a lot more sense honestly it does um, but you know what can you do what can you do <laughs> um okay do you have anyway. any other notes about this year's ceremony or do you just want to go right into snubs i know we talked a little bit about this in our 1976 nominations episode do you have any other tidbits about just the ceremony specifically um there's nothing uh too unusual about the ceremony specifically uh this year i did watch the introduction um uh on youtube which once again academy youtube page has a treasure trove of clips if you guys ever want to see what the intro to the Oscars or any of the individual categories looked like. They are pretty much all on YouTube, um, at least since the TV broadcast started. Uh, and margaret does a musical number to start this one off that's kind of just as, you know, offbeat in 70s as the Angela Lansbury one was a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, it's something about how you know, all this creativity started in someone's head and and it's oh, like kind it's it's an interesting it's an interesting number. It all began in someone's head. Um and then uh 
Richard Pryor is one of the hosts. And I would say watching what he has to say about the Oscars in hindsight is really interesting because he gets out there and he talks about, I'm here to tell you why no black people will ever be nominated for Oscars. Um, Oh. Yeah, and then he kind of goes in on a satirical indictment of the lack of diversity in the Oscars. Wow. Um, which is very topical and very ahead of its time. Um, very. Yes. Uh, you know, mentioning, like, there are... Uh, Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte are the only black members of the <laughs> Academy, which um, I don't know if that... Uh, if they were the only two at the time. it I would imagine there might have been a, a few more, but I imagine that's also probably just about all there were. You know, I, yeah, I bet you I it can was see that. 99% white. Um, so anyway, it is, it is very, very interesting to see that right now in context and see that Richard Pryor was saying what, uh, what the Oscars only started listening to, uh, recently. So absolutely true. Yeah. Um, very true. Anywho. Well, let's get into your snubs first. I want to do my snubs second because my snubs kind of go along with my spotlight. So do you have any notable snubs for this ceremony? Um, you know, I, um, I, I will say that I, as I was watching Rocky, I kind of felt as if I would have, instead of giving Burt Young a supporting actor nomination, I think I probably would have gone with Carl Weathers. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, for for playing Apollo Creed, um, there are movies later on in the series in which he's given more to do, but you know those movies are not quite as good as Rocky. And um, I do think that he does. Uh, it's a it's not a large role, but I think he does a good job of not being a villain in the story even though he's the one that the main character is fighting in the big fight you know i think he manages to layer a um what could have been a one note uh i'm the champion type of thing so i really like him in the film um and i also um i i don't think bound for glory (laughs) should be here Yes. <laughs> I want to make that very, very, very clear. And I've been thinking over the last week of what I would replace it with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at the movies that were released in 1976, trying to figure out what I think belongs in that slot. And after much consideration, I am going to make the controversial suggestion that the odd man out here um, at the Oscars, outside of being honored for its score, is The Omen. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Ooh, I am so into this pick. Okay, go on. (laughs) (laughs) I am a really big fan of the original Omen film. Um, I think it is an extremely well-done horror film that uh, is kind of in the tradition of The Exorcist and that it plays upon religious fear to create um, its, its story. And maybe it's because I was raised religiously that it um, connects with me. But I think that it is it is so competently directed and um, so well written and the music is so affecting and mainly like the the lead actors being Gregory Peck and Lee Rimmick, um, both of whom have, you know, very, um, you know, respectable uh, A-list Hollywood careers with lots of really high-profile prestige projects to their credit, I think they lend an air of legitimacy to the film, making it more than just a horror movie. 
And oh yeah. Oh yeah. Every time I watch it, it it it's it's like a little symphony, you know. Um, it's a different horror. I compared it to The Exorcist, but The Exorcist is a is a different kind of horror movie. The Omen follows more of this, you know, uh, horror trope pattern of okay, stuff happens, there's a kill. Stuff happens, there's a kill. But the way in which it does it, particularly blending in with the haunting music and cinematography, is it's just like a, a finely tuned um, piece of art. I, I think it is underrated. I think it's a really, really good movie. Um, oh, it's absolutely fabulous. And let's give some like a shout out for the actress who plays the the babysitter, or I guess the... Oh. The the governess or what would you say the yeah the, kids, the um you know who the, I'm talking about the, the nanny essentially Satan. the mistress of Satan. yeah literally yeah absolutely she um, is petrified in this movie Mrs. Baylock is Mrs. The... Baylock yes have no fear little one I am here to protect thee oh my god she's played she's horrifying. by <laughs> she's played by Mia Farrow in the remake which is a fun <laughs> casting choice. That is a fun um, casting choice. But, uh, and the remake is not nearly as good as the original. Don't watch watch the 1976 one. Uh, but it's, uh, I particularly love the scene uh, where uh, Damien, who's the, the son, uh, the devil, who's the son of the devil, <laughs> who has been gifted to uh, the couple played by Lee Grant and Gregory Peck, not to their knowledge, uh, he is wheeling his bike around the house they live in and you're kind of following him around and, you know, the music is is building up with this choir just warning you that something horrific is about to happen and Lee Rimmick is standing on a chair trying to fix a plant that's hanging um, right by where the uh, railing is, uh in this kind of loft area above the first floor and they're on the second floor. And then he ends up knocking her off with his bike uh, and she falls to the floor. And the way they handle that fall to the floor, all the music stops as it's happening and she just hits the floor and it's so shocking and so painful and so, so perfectly executed. I, um, I, I, that's probably my favorite scene in the film. Oh yeah, it's so good. And then you see the fishbowl like crash. Oh, the fishbowl get smashed yes, in slow motion. Bowl. Oh, it's great. It's a really really yes. great shot. I love that scene. Yes. Brilliant so that is the scene. movie that I have decided is going to be my number five slot instead of Bound for Glory. Okay, I love that you're like getting in there with the horror films um, because I have a feeling. Just knowing you, I think I know where you're about to take this. <laughs> Absolutely. And I am about to go Okay, in. let's go. Um, let's go. Okay, let's go. So my snub and my spotlight, they're kind of the same. I want to talk about Carrie. Creepy Carrie! Creepy Carrie! <laughs> uh, which did receive nominations for actress and supporting actress Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek, mother-daughter. But I feel like this was so overlooked in a lot of other categories. Film editing, cinematography... The sound being one of them, if only for the prom sequence in itself. I just think that that is such beautiful filmmaking and pretty unique for American films in the 1970s at this time. Um, yeah, at this point in time. And because of that, I also think Brian De Palma is snubbed for best director. I think this is maybe not his best movie, but I feel like this really shows his style the best. Um, and then I'm going to throw in Betty Buckley for supporting actress <laughs> as the gym teacher, mainly because I just fucking love Betty Buckley so much. <laughs> and I want her to be in some kind of Oscar consideration. This is probably the closest she gets. She's so, um, she's so, so, uh, she's like the, the heart of the film, you know? She is the heart I, of the film and it breaks your heart when she turns on Carrie, um, in the ending prom sequence, it's, yeah, it's really, really sad. Um, so I feel like Carrie, for me, is kind of that fifth spot uh, spot movie. You can sub that in for Bound for Glory. But I love that we picked two horror films. That makes me so happy. The forgotten genre at the Oscars gets some love this year. And, I um, mean, like, it's an, it's uh, it's important to mention this, too, because these are two movies that 
are so influential in the genre, you know? Yes. Um, oh, yeah, classics. They're still scaring people today. For sure. I think Carrie also has um, the best, I would say one of the top five twist endings of any movie oh, ever made. Oh, the jump scare. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that Brian De Palma shot that scene is so interesting. I think we have to, I have to say, give spoilers to talk about this. So, yes, yes. Spoiler. In the end, Carrie is supposedly dead. And then um, her friend, uh, the girl who's sympathetic to her, the Amy Irving, name. Um, Nancy. It's Amy Irving. Um, uh, no, Nan- is Nancy the other one? I'm trying to think now. Sue. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was about to say Sue, but I was I was uncertain. Okay, Sue uh, has a dream. We dis- discover it's a dream. We don't realize it's a dream at first. Where she um, visits Carrie's grave, and as she's putting the flowers down, Carrie sticks her hand out from under the dirt, and it's just like a big jump moment. But the scene was shot in reverse which is what's so fascinating about it. So everything that you see that's happening is happening. Um, it Like she walks backwards and <laughs> is walking yes. away from uh, Carrie's grave and all of that stuff. And Brian De Palma did that to give it more of a dreamlike feel so that when you reverse the motion, it everything looks just slightly off basically exactly yes and it's also important to note that the arm that comes out of the ground is actually sissy spacex's arm she told brian de palma she wanted it to be her arm and nobody else's so they buried her in a box underground so that she could reach up and grab poor amy irving um Ugh, what a trooper i love sissy spacex in this movie so much um, and amy irving in case you guys didn't know um was the first mrs spielberg so. Yes, she was. So there you Indeed have it. Uh, for those who haven't it. seen Carrie, I'm going to get into the spotlight on this movie now since we're kind of entering territory I want to discuss. Carrie is a story of a very sheltered high school girl who discovers her telekinetic powers, which she ends up using to seek revenge on all the people who have made her life a living hell. This is really the ultimate kind of revenge high school teen angst movie. It's so good and it's also one of the first scary movies that i can remember watching and my god it scared the hell out of me um we've kind of touched upon the ending scenes here but there's really nothing quite like the finale of this movie or any movie that's come before or after it so the prom scene will forever live in infamy and i think for good reason the, the way it's presented is so stylish uh in nature but it's so effective this is what i was talking about brian de palma um, and how he chose to work this final scene. It's done in a split screen to give you the impression that you're watching this horror unfold through Carrie's two eyes. You know, you're kind of surveying the entire landscape the entire time of what's going on and what she is doing, how she's using her powers to kill all of these people. It forces you to see what is happening. But that's not it. When Carrie does leave the prom and she goes home, there's even more terror uh, because she not only has to, you know, fight all those people in the high school gym, but she has to fight her mom as well, who's this super religious, freaky, fanatic lady. Um, So this movie really doesn't let up once, you know, the foot goes on the gas pedal. It's genius. And we can't forget about the first hour of the film either. It really takes its time building suspense and creating an atmosphere and a relationship with Carrie White. That's how and why this movie works. Because we are able to see the humanity in Sissy Spacek's performance first, before she gets the powers and decides to take revenge, right? I mean, that's really the whole point of the movie. Outcasts are people, too. Carrie is seen as almost a leper, you know, in her school, in her community, because of how shy she is um, at first. And because of her powers, you know, that kind of make her akin to the devil, she's also seen as a freak to her mother. Everybody is just scared of her, you know? So how do you deal with that as a person? How does that affect you? And we see that in Sissy Spacek's performance. It's heartbreaking because we care for her. Nobody accepts her except the people who are watching uh, this movie because we've seen her heart. You know, we know how much love she has to give. And it's perfect. And it's just so tragic because she's never really able to fully give that love to somebody. She comes very, very close uh, with her prom 
date, but we all know how that goes. He gets a bucket to the head and ends up dying. So it's sad that we don't actually yeah. get to see her, you know, um, blo- fully blossom, right? It, she ultimately is killed. So I, yeah, I just, I can't speak highly enough about this movie. I think it's so good. And it was largely well, skipped over in a lot of the major categories, I think, because it's a horror film. I really think it's because yes. of that. Carrie is also kind of notable for putting um, for putting uh, Sissy Spacek on the map. Sissy Spacek will return to Best Actress nomination several times over the next couple of decades. Um, and uh, she will, of course, eventually win an Oscar, which I look forward to talking about that year, because that is a very, very, very... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Competitive uh, Best Actress year, for me at least. Um, but uh, it's also the first, one of the first times we get to see an actor by the name of John Travolta, who in a, about a year after this movie is released will become a star in his own right because of a huge, massively successful film uh, called Saturday Night Fever. So... This is uh, this is a movie that's like right on the precipice of uh, a bunch of careers. It also was a career comeback for Piper Laurie, who we discussed, uh, you know, fifteen years ago, uh, fifteen episodes ago, I should say, when we were talking about her role and nomination in The Hustler, and then she ended up being nominated two times in a row: once uh, for The Hustler, and then for Best Supporting Actress uh, in Carrie. And these roles were, you know, 15 years apart. So this was uh, two consecutive nominations, but she didn't make any movies between that period. So uh, that's uh, that's quite a little record for Piper Laurie. And she is just absolutely divine as the mother in Carrie. It's one of those, um, one of those all-time iconic uh, villains, I would say. For me, you talked about the first time you saw this movie, and not to make this the Carrie podcast, but I was on vacation with my parents. Uh, I was probably uh, 11 years old, uh, and we stopped at this mall that had a poster shop with a bunch of movie posters, and I was just looking through the you know the huge like uh, movie poster size posters that are on those cardboard. Uh, backings and then you just like flip through and you're looking at all of them and you know I'm a kid in a candy store and then I came upon a poster for Carrie and the poster art which has her you know covered in the pig's blood um just freaked me out and I had you know a silent but visceral reaction to it where I just was like staring at it and in horror immobile and for whatever reason that stuck with me and then that night um i found myself you know sitting up in the living room of the suite that the hotel suite that we had um because i was on the rollout bed in the living area of the suite and i ended up turning on the tv and watching the andy griffith show because i couldn't I couldn't sleep because all I could see was Sissy Spacek covered in blood. And that ended up hanging with me uh, for years as uh, an image that would occasionally haunt me until I finally watched the movie in college. And by that point, I was able to handle it and not be totally petrified by it. Um, But I imagined how horrific the movie was before I ever saw the movie all because of a movie poster that I saw at a relatively young and impressionable age. Um, so I have, I have a bit of a relationship with Carrie. I love that story. Um, I actually had a similar experience too, because we used to go to our movie time store that, you know, movie rental stores, those used to exist people. Mm-hmm. And I remember I used to always sneak into the, the horror section and I remember the you know the the carry box would be on display, and I would like try to walk past it without looking at it because it was so scary. <laughs> so I have a very similar experience with the movie poster. In a way, I think the image of Carrie has maybe even outlasted uh, any specific feelings about the film because that 
image of Sissy Spacek standing there covered in blood is something that everybody has probably seen, whether or not they even recognize what it's from. It's almost like this iconic shot, this iconic moment, uh, frame in film history that has had a life that goes so far beyond the movie. Um, there are very, very few films that have that. I'd say, uh, both of the horror movies that we just covered have little moments like that. Cause I think that it, with the omen, the, um, there's a, a picture of the kid who played Damien just kind of standing in a graveyard with a bunch of cross gravestones around him that uh, there are various versions of, but in a similar way, I think that that picture of the creepy kid juxtaposed with uh, a graveyard is something that is something that will live on in movie culture for, for years and years to come. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This was a great year for horror. Very, very true. Do you have anything that you just want to quickly highlight, Rance? Uh, sure. Uh, this is the year that Barbara Streisand wins her second Oscar. Uh, she won, of course, for acting uh, with Funny Girl when she tied with Katherine Hepburn. And this year she wins an Oscar as a songwriter. And she is the only person ever to win Oscars for both acting and song- songwriting. Uh, she won for Evergreen, Evergreen, which is the love theme from A Star Is Born, from her version of A Star Is Born, the third version of A Star Is Born to make it to the big screen. Fourth, if you count the precursor film called What Price Hollywood. And um, Evergreen is uh, definitely one of those uh, songs that you've probably heard, even if you don't know it right from the title. Uh, it is. Uh, it was a huge, huge hit song in 1976. But I am also bringing this up because I think it leads pretty well into our best picture conversation. Because something that I find um, a little shocking is that the most iconic. Well, okay, it's hard to quantify the most iconic aspect of the movie Rocky because when talking about movies that have um, reverberated throughout our culture, Rocky is definitely up there. But uh, the music from Rocky is as big as anything else in that movie, and it was not nominated for original score, which is interesting. And it did not win original song, even though... Uh, Gonna Fly Now is one of the very, very few instrumental songs to ever hit number one on the Billboard charts. So, interestingly, uh, Barbra Streisand built out, beat out Bill Conti for Rocky. Uh, Bill Conti, I should also mention, would go on to be the person who orchestrates the most Oscar ceremonies of any orchestrator. So mm. good for Bill Conti. Um, but uh, Rocky, um, the theme from Rocky, Gonna Fly Now, uh, is something that was that, that Barbara managed to beat. So good job, <laughs> Barbara. She did. Good yes. job indeed. Well, that was, that was a lovely transition. Let's get into the main event. We're going to break down. Finally, let's talk about... Rocky, the yes. year's best picture. Um, if for some reason you don't know the story of Rocky, let me give you a quick <laughs> plot summary. This is a story of a down-on-his-luck boxer who gets a chance of a lifetime to compete for the heavyweight boxing championship against the great Apollo Creed. Kind of a nuts-and-bolts um, summary, therefore. There's a lot else that goes on. Uh, my mm-hmm. simple and shorthand reaction to this movie 
is that it is more surprising than I think people think it is. This is really a kitchen sink drama that is disguised as a boxing or sports movie. One hundred percent. Yeah, right? And I think the reason that that gets forgotten is because of all the sequels that sort of go away from that more naturalistic, realistic quality of the original Rocky Mm -hmm. and become more kind of, you know, Hollywood-esque, if we can put it that way. A bit more generic, right? I'm going to... but I'm gonna be is, real. Up, yeah, go ahead. I'm gonna be real upfront as well with my hot take as we get into the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I am not prepared to say what I think is the winner of this award ceremony, but I will. My hot take is this: Rocky is actually a great film. I love that Rocky is a great movie. It is a great movie. Um, and I think that is, and that's why, right? It surprises you. This is a movie about mm-hmm. deeply insecure, very poor, low-class members of society who ultimately discover that love is more important than making it big. You know, it's... the big lie that I feel like America tells people is you have to be a successful business owner, make money, contribute to society, you know what I mean? Put mm-hmm. money into the um, economic system. And this movie kind of fights against that. Though that might be well, the quote-unquote American dream, these people realize that that's not their American dream, right? Well, let's let's talk about this for a second because I think that part of the issue um, when people look back at Rocky winning Best Picture in the reason why this is such a debated situation is because we have hindsight – and hindsight tells us there's Rocky two, three, four, five, Rocky Balboa, Creed, Creed two, <laughs> um, and a soon to be Creed are, three. <laughs> yes, there are seven sequels and counting, you know. And yes. in the sequels of our are of varying quality. I think that uh, most people would agree Rocky Balboa is the best of the original sequels, and. Um, Creed is is probably the second best movie in the franchise. I think that's a fair right. assessment. Yes, I, I would agree um, with that. Yep. And I think that's because Rocky Balboa and Creed get back to what Rocky is supposed to be, whereas the sequel, the original sequels, the four movies that follow Rocky, uh, kind of veer first into. Uh, first away from the message of winning isn't what's most important which is the entire point of rocky yes and what is completely lost by having a sequel rocky 2 where spoiler he gets to beat apollo creed you know um because at the end of this movie he's they he they say there isn't going to be a rematch in case you weren't listening to the dialogue um because again that's not the point you know that isn't and that isn't not the, the point, point of the story. And then and then with uh Rocky 2 3 4 especially Rocky 4 we go into <laughs> um kind of cartoonish ter- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> territory and it's it's difficult to even judge it critically because it's not not entertaining. It's not uh they aren't bad movies necessarily because they aren't schlogs that you are going to be miserable watching, you do get incredible montages to songs like Eye of the Tiger, you know, right. which are... there's that. Which is, you know, another great song in cinema history. But, um, but you know, you still get Rocky Four, where the whole thing is, you know, he's beating this, like, machine built by the Russians, basically. And yeah. it's, it's, like, veering off into this weird territory, and Rocky goes from being this, like kind of burly um or rather i should say sylvester stallone goes from being kind of this burly um you know big uh guy who's you know in uh kind of like a husky muscular shape if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and then he goes to being this like absolutely you know one percent body fat um machine of a human that i think is a good i think his physical shape is almost a good analogy for the direction that the rocky series goes because suddenly it goes this place where everything is just a little too polished a little too yes um 
a little yeah, I love a, that comparison. a lot too polished you know that's very um, true the rocky franchise went the way of sylvester stallone the first movie it's you know he, he's playing himself sylvester stallone is playing himself he wrote it for himself he owns the role right and then as he became more famous as an actor and the movies became more ingrained in the hollywood culture they both started to shift and change exactly and it became more about the fighting too instead of because the thing that's so good about rocky is the fighting is just kind of what's happening but that's so funny i'm glad you said that because i literally have it's like the MacGuffin. honestly well yeah it's like i'm like honestly i don't need the boxing in this movie i think they could take the boxing out and it would still be a fine movie (laughs) yes it's not that interesting that's not the interesting part of the film do you do you do you agree like it's kind of like a MacGuffin? you know it's like um, yeah because the movie is actually about you know him you know coming into his own as a person and exactly and understanding yes. what's emo- the most important thing in life and falling in love with Adrian. And Adrian, you know, uh, Talia Shire has a great character arc as Adrian where she comes out of her shell. And I love the scene yes. where she's at Rocky's doorstep and she's wearing the cute jacket and stuff. And, um, and suddenly she's like, does it look okay? You know, but she has mm-hmm. like so much more <sighs> confidence than she ever had. The scene with the two of them, the scene at the ice skating rink is just it's so, so wonderful. Good. It's, it's one so of the good. most romantic scenes in in movie history. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Why do you want to fight? Because I can't sing or dance. Yo. And it's um, so funny because like they set that up as like you know he they only have ten minutes on the ice right. Uh-huh. Um, that's all he could afford. And that's actually all the production could afford as well. They couldn't afford to film there during primetime skating hours with hundreds of extras. They could only so rent better. the space out for a certain amount of time, and it could and only so be much those three characters. And it, it, exactly. It makes such it so a much happy better. accident. You know, yes, and I agree. And, yeah, the, you know, Rocky's full of happy accidents. It is. And, it, it, you know, people look at it as the ultimate underdog story. And, I mean, it is. You do have. That element to it, and I, you, I, I mean, you can't say that final scene when he ends up lasting, and the way the music swells, it's thrilling. Like it is oh, a so moment thrilling. in history. Um, just watching them, you know, he's able to to go all fifteen rounds, but that's that's not the only point. The only point of it is that he's able to go the whole time. It doesn't matter that he loses, and he just cares about seeing Adrian. Exactly, and because like we're so trying wonderful. to hear over their, you know, their reunion, like who won, who won, but like you can, you hardly even it hear doesn't the line. Matter. It doesn't exactly. matter. It doesn't matter. And Rocky doesn't care at that point. Adrian doesn't care at that point. They just want to come back. And to you each don't other. care. And uh, yeah, you really don't care. Who who gives a shit, right? That's why I was saying, like, take the boxing out. You have a wonderful movie. But I do want to get onto the topic. Okay, of one thing. Rocky and Adrian. Okay, one more thing. One thing. I just want to say one thing more about the music before we go back to the characters. Um, (laughs) um, I do love, as I was saying, I love the music in the last scene. I love it. The second that that part Mm -hmm. starts. Um, And of course the, the training montage scene where he runs up the steps is like, especially since you see him earlier when he's barely able to get up the steps and then you see him later and, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He gets up there. Oh, it's so... And now there's a statue of him, I believe, on those steps. The Rocky Steps. In Philadelphia. The Rocky Steps, as they call them. But um, it is is absolutely as thrilling as legend has it. But but I started watching this movie, which is currently on HBO Max, everybody. um, And the other day, and I was thinking, like, okay, I'm just going to, like, kind of re... I'm just going to kind of half-watch Rocky because... I haven't seen it in a while, and I need to be familiar for the podcast. And, you know, I thought I had all of my opinions set about Rocky before I started it again. Like, I, I really, really thought I'd be going into this just, like, making excuses for why it won Best Picture, basically. And I am not kidding. From the second the UA, uh, the UA logo comes up, and the next thing you see is the words Rocky scroll across the screen with the with the music bum 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 and i was like i got chills and i was like oh right this is what movies are all about yeah <laughs> you know absolutely. it is and hugely entertaining 
it is it's I'm not going to say we'll get to what should have what should or should not have won, but I'm not going to say it reinvented the wheel. It definitely cobbles together stories that have been done before into a whole. But I mean, there's nothing that there's very, very little that compares as far as things that will give you chills to some of the moments in Rocky. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Let's get into some of those okay. moments. So I want to talk about Rocky and Adrian and their relationship because there is a scene in this movie that I think is highly controversial now. It is the scene I where Rocky takes so interested you know where in I'm this going. conversation. Yes. You know where I'm going with this. Rocky yes. takes Adrian back to his apartment and uh, Adrian is clearly uncomfortable and Rocky clearly wants her to stay there. He's feeling a little frisky and Adrian looks petrified. And more or less, Rocky forces himself upon her. She says no many times, a handful of times, asks to leave a handful of times. And Rocky keeps her in the apartment, essentially traps her inside there. What's the problem? You don't like me? You don't like the turtles? What's the problem? I don't think I belong here. It's okay. I don't know you well enough. I've never been in a man's apartment alone. Well, I, they're all the same, you know. I'm not sure I know you well enough. I don't feel comfortable. But your age, you know, I ain't so comfortable either. I should go. Don't go, please. Don't, don't go. Don't come. Don't come. Now, when you're watching this today, right, this gives incredible rapey vibes. Did you have a similar experience rewatching this scene? You know, uh, the very first thing I did when I was watching this scene is I actually Googled does Rocky rape Adrian? Uh-huh. Um, and looked for Reddit conversations and whatnot to see what the different opinions were on this issue. And most people didn't think that he did. But um and and I don't think he let me first of all say I don't think the character of Rocky would have actually raped Adrian, okay? Right. Um you know, cuz the movie does make it clear that she's kissing back um once yes. they begin to kiss. Um but I once he forces did, his tongue down her throat. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on, go on. Yeah, I did <laughs> yeah. I did really really struggle with um, I did really struggle watching that scene, and it's something that uh, never bothered me before. Obviously, um, as a man who, um, you know, has been conditioned over the years to think that this is just, you know, a woman. You know, movies, media, uh, culture has taught us that a, a woman saying no just means that you know she's just doing it because. You know, she has to be prim and proper the way that baby right. it's cold outside uh, says, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I struggle with this. I think it is the one the one thing in the movie for me. Uh, I wish that scene was played in a different way. And particularly when you look and see that Sylvester Stallone has had a few... Um, accusations against him over mm. the years. Oh no! Yeah. Um, yeah. So and he did no, write yeah, this. Mm-hmm. So yes. Uh, so yeah, I I really struggle with it, and I'm sure that people have a variety of opinions. But I think that the important thing to draw out of this is, you know, don't uh, e- even if you're not being, um, let's say. Um, physically forceful maybe that's the right way to put it um Uh maybe if you're not maybe even if you're not necessarily overpowering someone because he doesn't like um because he does like put his hand on the door to where she's kind of trapped you know but you know people would probably say like but it's not like he's like holding his weight against the door and you know it's not like a violent situation um even if that is what you're doing, you're still 
not listening to what someone is saying to you. And 100%. What we need to know in today's day and age is that no means no. And uh, rape isn't always something that is violent. Um, mm-hmm. It is just um, a situation where there is not consent. And uh, clearly, in the way that the character of Adrian is written, um, they we are led to believe that this is, becomes a situation of consent, but it does not start as a situation of consent. There are a lot of scenes in movies like this over the years that I think we are now having to reckon with. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it. I think it's the one element in the movie that drags it down for me, honestly. I agree with you. I agree with you. And to me as well, it kind of opens up a further conversation on Adrian's character as a whole. It just really, it, it made me mm-hmm. see her in a different light because you go back and you look at some of the earlier scenes too. Stallone has written Adrian as this woman who only begins to like blossom because of men, right? Like, mm-hmm. she, she doesn't even want to, like, go out on the date with Rocky until her brother basically abuses her and tells her she has to. You know? Like, she's she's only defined by the men around her. And I think that's where the, the real problem comes from. It stems mm-hmm. from that. You know, it kind of, like, says that if there's this shy sort of... Um, Mousy... Uh, yeah, woman, you know, the only way she can be quote-unquote saved is by the power of a strong man. And I just think it or takes realizing, so much... Or realizing that she's pretty, you know? Yeah, you know, that's part like, of it then too. again, she like, has to oh, have a man tell her she's pretty. It just, take like, it, it takes all the power away from her and gives all the power to those around her. And I think that just does her character a huge disservice. Especially since we see Rocky being so sweet with her in the beginning, and the reason Adrian actually sort of does like him is because he is patient with her, and he lets her be herself until this scene happens. And it's, it's kind of like, well, if Rocky hadn't done this, they never would have gotten together. And I just think that's such a bullshit excuse. You know, I, I, yeah, they would have gone no. on a second date, maybe even a third, and then maybe kiss. Like, clearly, Adrian needed to take some time. She is very insecure probably Mm -hmm. some kind of trauma happened to her in her childhood where she doesn't trust men maybe she was raped earlier as well that this scene just is so off color to me it really yeah it is a a huge con against the film and adrian's character as a whole you know and i you know we should get into this a little bit further too talia shire's nomination in the leading actress category, do you think she fits in there, or would you have slid her into supporting actress? I mean, I definitely think she deserves a nomination. I think she's great, and so different than she is in Godfather. Um, Yes, very. uh, She really earns her place here. Uh, I think it's interesting to put her in lead, because I think her the size of her part is slightly more supporting, even though she is the lead female in this role. It's like mm-hmm. one of those situations, like, okay, well, if we call Louise Fletcher a leading actress for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, then yes, we we do call Adrian a lead, okay? Sure. But, um, but at the same time, you know, uh, she is, I, I don't think she's in even in half of the scenes, you know? So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> but but her relate. But at the same time, her relationship with Rocky is kind of the the fulcrum of the entire mm-hmm. movie. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I will say, if you remove the scene that we are discussing, I think that I think the problem is the scene. You know, mm-hmm. I think if you took that scene out of there, or you rewrote that scene to be something that is more um that that's that isn't about you know physical contact being a necessity if that makes sense yeah um i i think that it changes it doesn't i don't know if changes the whole movie is the right word i think it um i think it fixes 
the the issue that we're talking about. If you well, I think it would have like to... lined up. Yeah, and it would have lined up with the rest of the film, right? Like perhaps if the scene had just been rewritten to where Stallone asks her why she's so uncomfortable, what is it about men that she doesn't like? Then we could actually get to know a bit more about Adrian's character and why she is the way that she is. We don't ever really understand why, you know. I mean, we this get is a... that she's. Yeah, this go is ahead. a writer problem. This is a oh yeah. This is a and writer this is great, actually. problem. I want to get yeah. into the screenplay too. Let's 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 transition to Stallone's screenplay, which he does receive an Oscar nomination for. I want to know if you think this screenplay merits an Oscar nomination. <laughs> now remember, the whole screenplay. <laughs> um, the screenplay. The screenplay as as a whole. I I'm fine. I'm okay with the nomination. I think it's a well-constructed okay. film. Okay. Um, okay. I do, like we do. I think we agree that we take issue with the scene. Obviously, in 1976, they nobody was going to take issue with the scene because in 1976, men it was all were, straight white men uh, were awful. Um, and <laughs> yeah. And sadly, like not only were men awful, but lots of um, people besides white men had been conditioned to think that all of this was okay. So right, exactly, um, exactly. And women too. Let's let's be real here. Like there are certain women who probably watched this in 1976 and were like, "Oh, Rocky's such a savior. I want a big strong man." Because they're also conditioned yeah. to think that you need this. This is you know big tough guy. Yeah, a hundred. Yeah, you you can. Uh, it, yes, exactly. It's it's. The movies, it's culture conditioning us to think that something is okay. Um, So so it's really hard to knock anyone specifically for that because it was part of the culture. Um, And clearly nobody said anything then. So, you know, there you are. Um, But but I do think it is... I, I don't think the screenplay in any way reinvents the wheel. You know what I'm saying? I think right. that this is... Um, a kind of by the numbers construction of a story um, that uh, is very like screenplay 101, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, I, that's what I was going to say too. But at the same time, when uh, something that is by the numbers is good and um, isn't necessarily revolutionary, but does what it's supposed to do extremely well, then that doesn't, I don't think that necessarily knocks it from being nominated, if that makes sense. Right. So, but I mean, you know, you're also looking at a situation where there are things that are not nominated that should probably be around. Yeah, I can see that. My only thing is that like there, the script is just very uneven for me. I think there are, scenes and moments in this movie that truly shock me with how brilliant they are. A lot of them, the majority of those scenes, I think, are the ones with Stallone in them because Mm -hmm. Stallone knows how to write for himself. Clearly, he understands this character and what it needed to be to make this movie work. But then you have a lot of the earlier scenes with Apollo Creed and all the event organizers and them coming up with this scheme, this plan to still hold this championship boxing duel and how they're going to pick the guy and all that stuff and to me those scenes are so laughable now they are so didactic it's literally like let me tell you how the plot's going to work it's so formulaic and yeah and it's borderline unbelievable like this we need to be very clear this movie this this would never happen in real life absolutely never and i know that's part of the charm of it and why we watch Mm -hmm. movies it's cute and it's awesome but the way that the the dialogue is written in those scenes, it is just terrible. And that's where I think Stallone shows his, you know, the sort of the, the his uh, being so young and inexperienced in the industry. You know, this is his first screenplay. I mean, he's 30. So you, He's 30. He's he, 30. He no, this. he is, right. Yeah. But this is still yeah. the first, his first outing, you know. Oh, I meant 30 um, is young. I'm sorry. I know that you're... Oh, no. I mean, hey, just... 30 is young. You're right. Thank you. Yes, yes. 30 is so young. So, so young. <laughs> <laughs> but then you watch the scenes. Like, I think some of the, the truly genius scenes are when he is working as the loan shark. And you see... Oh, for sure. ...him trying to put on this tough guy attitude. But that's not who he is. And uh, that's where I think... I think those are probably real because... In. 
Yeah, and I think those are those probably have a reality to them because that's what Sly still yeah. Stallone knew. Exactly, and that's you what know? I'm saying is you can tell which parts of this movie and this screenplay come directly from Stallone's life or people he might have known and met, mm-hmm. and then the parts that he's trying to write just to make the movie fit together. It's very clear. So in my opinion. I don't think it should get an Oscar nomination. I don't think it's up to snuff with the other nominations in this category. But I do oh, love the story I, behind mm-hmm. it. How Stallone and Taxi Driver fought to... isn't sorry. Oh and yeah, Taxi, Taxi Driver's Driver. not nominated for original screenplay, and it wasn't original. And screenplay, that would so yeah, that, that I mean, should like, be what swaps this out. Yeah, that should be here, yeah. and this should not. But as I was saying, I think it's it's a wonderful story. Stallone fought to be in the movie. You know, people were interested in buying it, but casting Robert Redford as the lead or some other A-list star. And he said, mm-hmm. no, I, he wouldn't be able to forgive himself if somebody else became successful in the leading role. So I, I love that story. And I champion, um, you know, anybody who has the balls to do that and stand up to Hollywood executives and actually get what they want. So I love that. But this just isn't a strong screenplay. It's really not. And not. Uh, this, is a, this is an interesting topic to open up because... Um, having uh, the screenplay is is so so vital to having a good movie. Yes, but this is where a really good director and a really good editor can step in and take something that may just be you know good, not great, um, and make it into something so much more. You know, I think. Oh yeah, Rocky is. I, I think this is where. I start to really understand the directing win because I think that John uh, Avildsen uh, took something that was of good, not great quality, as you were pointing out, um, if that's what we want to argue, that it's good, not great quality. And he made it into, he, he drew out an incredibly well-paced, um, iconic, impactful, full of so many amazing images film out of it. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, that's where I think that Rocky... Be- I don't think Rocky becomes a great movie because of the screenplay. I think it becomes a great movie because um, because all of the elements kind of lifted it up into something that um maybe it doesn't deserve to be but for some reason it is yeah and i feel like that is all credit to the charm of sylvester stallone the pairing of stallone and the director i think they both knew what was going to sell and he is what sells he really really is and they also included and this was a strong this was a mammoth hit like I know that we oh, know yeah. that Rocky is a huge part of history, but this was like this was the highest grossing film of the year by far, and this was just like, um, I mean, this is a movie that my parents talk about seeing in theaters and it being such an experience. You know, this is a movie that everybody went to see. It was number one at the box office for like ten weeks or something like that. It yep. it was a huge, huge hit. Um, huge, huge, huge. I mean, it was the biggest movie of 1976, but it also spilled over into 1977 and was the second highest grossing film of 1977. Only second because that's the year Star Wars came out and demolished every box office. So this is a big movie for a couple of years, you know? So Mm -hmm. I can see why, you know, with its popularity, it does end up taking the Best Picture award. Um so let's get Which, down to it here. Let's Rance. talk about let's that. Let's get into yeah. this. Of the five films now that we've we've torn apart and <laughs> analyzed <laughs> to death, which of these five do you think actually deserve to be best picture? Um, I think the best <laughs> picture of these five movies is Network. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. Um. I think Network has the strongest screenplay, which it very much deserved the screenplay win for Patty Chayefsky. Um I think that it has uh, incredibly tight direction, editing, uh, has a very timely story that is both entertaining and speaks to a real truth of 
um, journalism and media that is more timely today than when it was released. I think it has probably dated the best of all of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture. Um, and in no small part because it is so uh, much more relevant now than it used to be um, in the way it predicts the future. And um, I think that it also is full of striking images that uh, and dialogue that we continue uh, to reference today, even when we, again, don't know we're referencing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. All of that said, even knowing that I think Network, Taxi Driver, and All the President's Men are superior films, I really don't have a problem with Rocky winning. Yes, because I think it's a nice story as well. It's a beautiful story. I think it's a nice story. Yeah, I see. I see the world where Rocky wins Best Picture and Sidney Lumet wins Best Director. I feel like that would almost be the better outcome here. You know, because I do think Rocky is so rewatchable. Network isn't a movie. You know, you finish it like I want to watch this again right now. It's really not one of those films. Rocky kind of is. Like you could really just put Rocky on over and over and over and enjoy, you know, kind of come in and out of it and enjoy it, right? Um, and Sidney Lumet but never I think, won an Oscar, and that is a problem. But anyway. And that is a huge problem. And I yes. do consider, well, I actually shouldn't say this is his magnum opus, but I feel like this was certainly his strongest chance. And yes. I would have it's loved a, to have seen film. him win direction for this. Yeah. That's kind of my but, you know, would be that outcome. I, I challenge everybody to go onto YouTube and watch uh, the announcement of the Best Picture Award. Um, mm-hmm. Because, uh, I don't know, I think that's what sealed it for me. Because I, I went back and I watched, you know, um, which I have to say, uh, another note here, Jack Nicholson is the one who announces Rocky is the Best Picture. And I was thinking, is this the first time? that Jack Nicholson announces Best Picture because I, he ends up, um, I don't know if he has announced Best Picture the most of anybody, but I think he probably has because he I is so a go-to. He is a go-to at the Oscars for many, many years for the top category. Um, yes. You know, he announced uh, very famously when Crash won Best Picture. Um, I say very famously because his reaction to it is one of my favorite things ever. Um, it was also my reaction. But, <laughs> <laughs> he announced uh, when The Departed won Best Picture. I remember um, there's there's a few others that uh, he he announced over the years. So I feel like he's a person they go to a lot. But um, but he uh, he announces this Best Picture, and then it cuts to the audience, and the producers stand up. And then, you know, and the Rocky crowd is there and there's the, and the music starts playing the Rocky music. Okay. First. So you have that going, you have the music going and then they like Sylvester Stallone, like shakes the producer's hands. And then there's this moment where the, you can tell the producer says like, come on up with us, come on up with with us. And he's like, no, 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 no. And, and then they ended up dragging him basically onto the stage because he just wants them to have the moment and not. Right. Which is really but sweet. But they're also very you know. smart because they know the audience wants to see Sylvester Stallone. You know, I mean, yes. Stallone had multiple chances of getting up on the stage with an acting nomination, a screenplay nomination. Right. You know, so I feel like they, they, they yeah, they knew that people want to hear from Rocky himself. And that's kind of where art really starts to imitate life with this movie. You know, this is... Sylvester Stallone never thought it would be anything humongous. You know, the director kind of thought this would just play in a drive-in theater. You know, nobody was um, predicting the success of this movie. And the success of Rocky and Sylvester Stallone are so intrinsically tied together that that it winning Best Picture is just a, a wonderful story. So let's get into next year. What are we going to talk about next episode? 1977's Best Picture winner, Annie Hall. Rance, I feel like this is going to be impossible to talk about without talking about Woody Allen and everything we know about him now. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be an unavoidable topic of conversation that we're going to have to get into next week. Have you seen Annie Hall? Well, I mean, good Lord. We, we, were, we had to talk about something uncomfortable with Rocky, 
you know. Yeah, we did. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we did. Yes, Annie Hall will be an interesting one uh, to unpack. I haven't seen Annie Hall um, in, I-, I think, about 15 years, maybe? 14 yeah. or 15 years. So I'm going to have to watch it again. I didn't like it the first time I watched it, um, so we'll see how I feel about it on rewatch. But um, I- I'll be I'll be completely honest. This is something that will be tough to be objective about because... Uh, I have watched the HBO docuseries uh, Alan v. Farrow, um, and uh, Woody Allen is not a person who I am personally a fan of. There are a couple of his films I've seen in the past, including uh, The Purple Rose of Cairo and Hannah and Her Sisters, um, in which I was a fan, but the big difference in those films in comparison to Annie Hall is that uh, he is not he is in one of those movies he's not in the other one but he's not the lead in those films Um, and watching him as the leading character in a movie uh, I I don't know what that's going to be like yeah it's going to be interesting i'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about next week so guys join us as we break down 1977 and annie hall in our next episode